we have a great subscription offer for all our listeners. Subscribe to our digital edition for 12 months for just $24.99. That's six issues of our award-winning magazine delivered to your inbox for less than $4.20 an issue. Only $24.99 for a full year. So don't wait. To subscribe, go to australiangeographic.com.au forward slash Talking Australia. That's australiangeographic.com.au forward slash Talking Australia. Hi, I'm Ben Kantak and you're listening to Talking Australia, the podcast by Australian Geographic. Today I'm joined by Kelly Walters. Kelly is a holistic ecological management expert and made it her goal to help farmers future-proof their land by improving the soil. On this episode, we talk about a company, VRM Biologic, the importance of healthy soil and how regenerative agriculture and adapting farming methods can help fight climate change. She also talks about her involvement with the upcoming documentary, Standing on the Solution. I'm really excited to talk to Kelly today on this episode of Talking Australia. Hi, Kelly. Thanks for joining us. Hi, Benny. Thanks for having me. What's wrong with our soil? Why is our soil not in the state it should be in? What have we done to it? And why is this a massive issue in your own words? I think fundamentally that we haven't respected soil as we should. Um, and as we should have over, over time. In the 1950s, it was determined that it would be a good idea to heap uh, synthetic nutrients on soil to make the soil perform better. But the soil was only ever seen really as a media that allowed the plants to, to grow out of it. Uh, so nobody ever really looked at the fact that soil in and of itself was its own ecosystem. Over the years, we've looked at water quality and really focused on that. We've looked at air quality. Uh, then we looked at climate change. And even along those, uh, those lines and, and going through those themes, we never really considered the pivotal role that soil has for us as society, but also for us in terms of the ecosystem services offered to water and air. Yeah, and, um, and I also feel, you know, now these days we're talking about climate change is more acceptable to talk about it or finally it's it it feels like it's getting more accepted that there is this problem that we are facing we have to deal with it but at the same time um you know we we still need to talk more about the role that soil plays because there is an interconnection between climate change and soil right absolutely the uh, what we're looking at in particular uh, in australia look at what has happened in uh, new south wales towards the end of 2019, New South Wales and Victoria, with the bushfires that went in, essentially there wasn't sufficient soil moisture. So there wasn't the capacity of the soil to be able to retain water. And as a consequence, we had those absolutely devastating bushfires. We also look at the uh, decline of, uh, of soil across all agricultural areas and the impacts that drought has had on that. So absolutely, it's it's such a critical, critical uh, element to be looking at. And it's so paradox in a way, because the farmers are the ones that are that are hurting so much, you know, um, especially you, you mentioned it after years of drought. And, um, and, you know, there are so many stories of absolutely bare dead land. And um, at the same time, they are the ones that 
ha have like that would need to improve or would have the power or the, the option to do something about it. I mean, obviously it's not that easy, but there are ways to improve um, one soil um, after it had been mismanaged for a lot of time. And, and uh, your company is obviously working on that, trying to help farmers to, to optimize their soil in a way that it's also future-proofing um, their farms and their livelihood. What, what, what kind of things are you doing, with, especially with your company, VR and Biologic, to help farmers to aid um, them in, in future-proofing their land? We saw many, many years ago, uh, late 90s, that soil health was going to be severely impacting on the availability of healthy food into the future. It's, it's as simple as that. So what we looked at was the fact that farmers really needed alternatives that were uh, healthier for the soil, that were healthier for them, and that also ensured that they were going to improve their yields and ultimately improve their profitability while building that land. So what we did was look at what resources farmers had available to them, and we developed some technologies around being able to unleash, I suppose, those unused resources uh, onto the land in a diversified manufacture way so that farmers could be in control of what is put on their soil. To, to me, seems pretty logical. So we have two processes in particular that we use. One can convert mass vegetation, crop residues, manures even, into a solid uh, addition that can be put on the soil. And another process, bioregion, can utilise that kind of putrescent food waste that we get from yeah. rest restaurants or even uh, residue from, uh, from uh, citrus fruit or any kind of produce that, yeah. that can't be taken off the farm. That can be transformed into a, a liquid biostimulant. Both of those added to the soil, manufactured by the farmer, generate soil health. It also seems like a like a vicious uh, vicious cycle for for a lot of farmers um, because we we talked previously to Julian Cripp about this and he's obviously all about um, chemicals in the ground and their effects and you know then you need more fertilizers you need basically in order to keep keep things going keep the keep the show running you need to add more chemicals to the soil that has been already showered in chemicals for ages so it's kind of a vicious cycle to get out of that um, it seems to a lot of a lot of farmers what's your own experience with that and also in conversation with farmers that um, finally might have come around and and seen regen of agriculture as a solution and, and seeing different ways. What's, what's your own experience in, in conversation with those farmers? I think that there is a wide misconception that nutrients needed to need to be added to the soil in order for there to be nutrients available. Hmm. What we do instead is help farmers, farmers stimulate the natural processes in the soil so that nutrients are sequestered, so that they become available naturally. So that is really the transitional process that we're going through with a lot of farmers now who understand that they don't want to be paying for synthetic fertilisers, in particular given the, uh, the rapid increase in prices that yeah, we've yeah. all experienced Absolutely, lately. absolutely. They also don't want to be paying for empty costs like freight. Uh, they want to be able to, to utilise what they have available to them to be able to build the soil health and get the soil to make the nutrients bioavailable to the plants on, on their own. It, it's, a, it's a relatively simple process, but it does take, I, I admit, uh, a whole lot of time to get your head around a very different concept of how nutrients become available. 
obviously farming has a lot to do with um, being shown if it's a family farm for generations you know one generation passes the knowledge down to the next and to the next um, is that the big issue to break that kind of mindset or what is what is the big issue trying to to convince them to maybe think about a different way I'd say there there are two two real issues number one is that that's the way it's always been done That's the way they've always farmed and they have been, particularly in intergenerational circumstances, they've been taught to farm that way by their fathers and mothers or grandfathers and, and grandmothers. <laughs> yeah. the, the second part is it's risky. If your entire uh, living, if the, the entire uh, profit that you're going to make off your land is dependent upon you getting a crop year on year, it's, it's a real risk to decide, okay, I'm going to completely swap over to a different system and not being 100% confident in themselves that they're going to get the same return. We had an article in, in one of the previous issues of, of Australian Geographic um, quite some time ago, but it was super interesting. It's exactly about the the you know the microorganisms in, in our backyards, basically, or how depleted our soil, even just in our backyard, is um, of microorganisms and also what kind of health effects that has on children, you know, like that playing in the dirt or getting your hands dirty and, you know, ingesting some of these microorganisms. That, that's part of, 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 uh, of a healthy, healthy gut flora. Like the, your whole body will benefit from that, being exposed to a healthy soil environment. And, and in fact, you know, especially in urban areas and suburban areas, our soils are very, very depleted. And Costa Jajadis said it so nice. He said, you know, first step would be maybe to stop calling it dirt and call it what it is, soil, and have a more healthy relationship with that. Um, what, what do you feel we can all do within our little, little backyards and, and within our little world? It's really funny that you say that because I don't think people collectively and consciously understand that there is an integral link between their gut biome mm. and the world within which we live. So if we were to consider, would we put this in our mouths? And therefore, would we put <laughs> yeah. this on our soil? If yeah. you equate both of those, then you start to understand, okay, the, these are the options that I have. I really probably <laughs> shouldn't be doing this. I, I went through the exact same process. I made my kids sit out in the backyard and eat dirt when they were little because I understood then yeah. the, the absolute importance of, of being able to adjust to your biome. So let's think about this as a biome. It's not us and soil and water and air. It's us all together. We all live in the same biome. What, what we can do in terms of individuals, we can grow our own food. We can look at recycling our food waste from our households. We can look at uh, reducing consumption overall of uh, materials that, that aren't good for our ecosystem and ultimately our biome. So, so there are a lot of things and a lot of options available to us. And I also have the feeling that um, the, the pandemic and being in lockdown might have helped, uh, at least in my filter bubble, might have helped a few people to kind of reconnect with those things and think about and had spent more time at home and then think about how to, you know, maybe use the coffee ground or the food waste and, you know, how, what, what to do with their own garden and, And look into that and hey do we have enough flowers here for the bees or what's going on uh, back there so in a way that was also maybe a healthy break to think a little bit more about what's surrounding us like on, an, on a daily basis 
Definitely. And at, at the beginning of the pandemic, me, me sitting in Brisbane, going to my supermarket, going, mm. uh, okay, or to the grocer and going, you know, there's, there's not a whole lot available yeah. to me. Yeah. I, I started intensively growing my own green, fresh crops uh, on my very tiny balcony in, in the inner city, just to know that I was going to be able to sustain myself and my family and, and their health. I knew exactly where that produce came from. And the funny thing is it's actually grown for me over time. So even though there's produce available elsewhere, the, uh, the level of self-growing that I do have, has increased significantly. Yeah, and I feel there's also a different different consciousness now when it comes to food. I mean, there are always people who are very conscious about what they put into their bodies. But um, I also feel that that there's obviously a massive movement of people wanting to to yeah put better things into their their bodies and better food and better better crops, better everything. It's a very holistic thing. Everything's interconnected. There's so many things that you know we might not think about that are actually interconnected. And I also find that fitting to your journey that you had to end up doing what you're doing now and where you're coming from, because I think it's very interesting that you started out, out as an eco-tour guide in Kakadu and then kind of fell into this, this path or followed that, that path. And your journey is quite interesting. How did you end up doing what you're doing right now? Um, and where did you start out your journey? It, yeah, you're right. It's it's a very strange and uh, uh, often unpredictable journey that that I I suppose I went on. But uh, very early in in my education, I made a determination that I wanted to be involved in biochemistry in some way. I think I was seven when I made that decision. Wow. Okay. And and I moved through life and did university degrees and got to the end of that and thought, how, how am I going to use my time on earth most appropriately? And how am I going to leave this place a better place mm. than when I found it, when I arrived here? So decided to pursue environmental management, which was a relatively new field at that point in time. And to be honest, Kakadu had always been one of the, the pinnacle places in Australia that anybody with any kind of environmental consciousness would want to go. So the fact that I was invited to work there and live there just seemed like a dream come true to me. So I, I spent a year up there really uh, living in that environment, really absorbing the natural beauty and the cultural heritage of that particular area. It, it gave me a great foundation to then move on and think this, this here, this perfect piece of paradise is exactly what I want to be protecting as I go forward. So I moved through a, a variety of government roles and eventually found one of the technologies that VRM had come up with, Groundswell. That became one of the projects that I was able to manage in the state government in New South Wales. And I thought, hang on, there's something to this process. It's relatively simple. It's very effective. And I thought, I've, I've got to go and work for this company. So that's what I did about nine years ago. And what I find with your, with your work that you're currently doing, the solution doesn't always have to be the complicated one. Like that's what I find is the is a key takeaway for me um, from what you're doing and what you're saying that, you know, sometimes the solution to things is not the most complicated one. It can be quite simple. And maybe sometimes that's something that puts people off, if that makes sense. You know, they look at it as like, it can't be just that simple. Absolutely. I think humans by nature love to complexify. So 
when when we say this, if this is a six step process and then you just watch what happens, no, 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 that can't be can't possibly be the case. And then they delve into what, what's the detail, what's what's the active element, what's the what's the real process that's going on here. When all we need to do is go, okay, let, let's implement this process and see what happens. But equally, we don't think that the solutions that we offer are, are a panacea. We believe that they operate in conjunction with a whole lot of systems, with a whole lot of best practice management on land and with a whole lot of intent. You have to have the right intent in order for all of these things to come together and be successful. But ultimately, there's also a lot of knowledge about you know, land care and taking care of the land that that worked for thousands of years. And there's so much knowledge out there as well. We just have to also use it. The Indigenous people of our land are its original custodians. I don't think there's any any doubt to that. And the practices that went on for tens of thousands of years before we came along, absolutely. We need to learn a lot about how the land was appropriately managed. I certainly learned a lot of that in Kakadu mm. and it has inspired me to continue throughout my career to work with um, an, a number, a variety of Indigenous groups and actually to reach out to them and talk to them and learn from them as much as I possibly can. Taking care of the land the right way or the proper way in a way that, that is actually future-proofing the land, um, that can also help us achieving net zero, which is this looming thing, you know, that, that seems impossible to reach at times when you really look at what's going on in politics and stuff. How does increasing our soil's health um, will help us also to achieve the goal of net zero? The sequestration of carbon into soil is a very easy thing to achieve. And it is a very inexpensive, actually, it's, it's cost neutral. Because if you economically value the positive, the benefits that we achieve by changing practices and increasing mm. soil carbon, then you will see that everybody benefits without having to spend trillions of dollars in technology that we don't have at the moment that we don't think exists. Yeah. We've, we've done a little bit of work on that and we've actually created our own VRM biologic net zero plan. And we calculated that using under 0.5% of farmland available in Australia per year, we would be able to cover the carbon emissions of Australia. And it sounds marginal. How, how on earth will that be possible to do with less than 1% of farmland? It, it's, an, it's an easy process to implement. It is, okay. it is building humus within the soil. And it is ensuring a process called bacterial photosynthesis, which a lot of people don't know about. It isn't taught in schools, but it is a, a, an assisting process to green plant photosynthesis. So if you combine humus in soil with bacterial photosynthesis, that continues to assist the formation of humus, but also, and another podcast episode in this, <laughs> manufactures water within soil. Those very simple processes... Oh. If we're able to stimulate those on that small amount of land, then that massive impact occurs. 
why is this not implemented? Why is this not happening? That's that's probably, you know, we, we, we do all these podcasts. We talk to a lot of smart people um, in Australia and, and, and out there in the world. And what, what, what's, so, what's so complicated about it? I mean, you know, less than a percent of farmland should be easy to maybe find stimulus for farmers to, to jump on board. I, I completely agree, completely agree. We're at the heart of all of this, we want farmers to be abundant. We want the stewards of the land mm. to be abundant. One of the things, one of the elements that you spoke of previously was simplicity. If yeah. people think that this is too simple, then they don't want to implement it. They believe something needs to be complex. But equally, what we hear is this is too good to be true. And that that level of scepticism prevents people from actually progressing, from evolving, from moving into new transitional approaches and from being open-minded and, and watching what might happen should they change their practice just a little bit. Yeah, and plus there's also a lot of money to be made um, if we don't change too much and just stick to the old ways, I assume. And there's also a lot of uh, greenwashing going on. Um, can you explain a little bit what's, what the pro problem is with that, especially when it comes to soil? The greenwashing really is about people taking the current approaches that are most popularly marketed and twisting those to convince consumers that going a certain way is, is actually good for the environment. That sounds, I think, very, that sounds very, very uh, diplomatic. I like that. I'm but, trying yeah. to be diplomatic, <laughs> yes, yes. Um, how, how, how do they do it? Give us an example. Um, well, it's, it's very controversial, Benny. <laughs> uh, I, I think the um, having a, a thin veneer mm. of being sustainable is is probably the best way that that people greenwash yeah. and what i what i say to consumers what i say to people who come to me and say yeah but can you give me a bit more detail mm. around how exactly is this sustainable all you need to do is scratch the surface and ask questions i suppose an example for you is uh something being certified as being grown a certain way uh actually approaching the people who are selling that produce, asking where it comes from, asking if you can be connected with the land that it has grown on. Uh, if you go to a farmer's market, it's super easy to do. You're often talking directly to the grower. Yeah. But if, if you're somewhat removed from that, then you really need to, to ask those questions and you really need to see how much connection you can have with the soil and the people who grow your food. I'm really excited about, about this. When I, when I read about this, um, tell us a little bit more about this documentary project. Sounds really, really good. Uh, the documentary coming up, Standing on the Solution, we've been lucky enough to, to be involved in this, in really looking at it as an exploration of what approaches people can use. And this is large scale. This is um, agriculturalists across Australia. What approaches they can use to to fundamentally change their practices and, and get better results from their land. So th this is a, a personal journey, a very personal journey uh, of Rachel Ward. And uh, she's, she's incredible in her passion and her, um, oh, her drive to achieve outcomes for herself. It's, it's wonderful talking to her. It's wonderful listening to her and observing her go through her own path and her own education, trying a number of different ways and then coming to a conclusion about 
uh, what she feels is the best way to, to progress on a regenerative agriculture journey. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's, it's a very Australian-based documentary and I, I, for one, cannot wait to see it come out. How is the process um, producing that documentary? How exactly were you involved and, um, and, and what were some of the, the, the key takeaways during filming? And when is it coming out, most importantly? Yeah, sure. Uh, beginning of this year, uh, myself and the, the president of the company of Vieira and Biologic met Rachel at a, um, it was a fundraising event on the uh, north coast of, of New South Wales. And she said, look, I'm working on this film and I think it would be of great interest to you and we were taken immediately uh, with the concept but also with the fact that somebody was that brave to get out there and say I'm going to map a, a path for, for everybody to move along yeah uh, I was just talking to Rachel last week filming wrapped up uh, just recently yeah. a couple of weeks ago and uh, the film will be out at the end of next year. Powerful pictures and definitely powerful topic and good choice of tool to, to bring across the message uh, in, in a documentary. <clears throat> we do love a good documentary and uh, Standing on the Solution is the title of it. Um, you should definitely check it out. I might just put the, the trailer also in the, in the show notes of this episode here and then you can just find it there. Kelly, I thank you so much for your time and um, talking to you and I can't wait to do this again and uh, I wish you all the best um, for your journey and for thank what's you. to come. Thank you, Benny. Thank you for your time. That's it for today's episode of Talking Australia. If you have questions or comments, feel free to reach out. Write us an email, podcast at australiangeographic.com or find us on Instagram at australiangeographic. And make sure to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast from. Thanks for listening, and hear you next time.